Michigan Rundown Podcast. At midcourt, extra pass. And it goes for the win! Presented by Jake Singer. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Michigan Rundown Podcast. My name is Jake Singer, and on today's episode, I have one of my correspondents, Hayden, with me. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the full NCAA March Madness Tournament, what Michigan did correct, what they did wrong, our predictions for the Final Four and Championship Games, and next steps as the Michigan basketball team takes on the offseason and into next season with Juwan Howard's third year coming up. How are you doing, Hayden? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast. You know, I've, I've had you on mine before, but uh, I'm, I'm excited to co- talk about college basketball. So, Yeah, so a little, a little background. Hayden... Uh, and a, a couple of his buddies run something called the Huddle Podcast, which everybody should check out on YouTube. They talk about March Madness. They talk about all sports. Um, it's a great podcast. I've been on it myself. Um, and just, you know, a little plug for him there. Mm-hmm. So I guess everyone really wants to know, you know, this year has been very weird with the March Madness tournament. You and I, Hayden, we did our predictions together. And we had some teams that we felt very good about that might have lost in the first round some other teams that we didn't pay any attention to that might still be in the tournament now so i guess what was your biggest upset and what team did you believe would go really far that took a very early exit in the tournament hayden um well i want to start with the second part because they kind of go hand in hand but i want to say texas their loss to abilene christian in the first round that was something I didn't even look at. I just skipped over and picked Texas in almost every bracket that I did. And that's because I believe Texas truly had a top five roster of college basketball last year. And that's the reason that we saw Shaka Smart recently just leave because he knew he was out of there. Um, he knew he was gone after blowing a first round, another tournament appearance with such a talented roster. That one shocked me. And, and his offense, like as good of an offense as Texas to put up like 51 points against Abilene Christian was shocking to me. Like I, I was ready to just turn the TV off, be like, all right, Texas is going to win this one easy. Didn't happen. That one was crazy to me. Completely. I mean, that that one was just shocking to me. I was watching that game. I remember Texas was is has been a very strong team this year. I mean, Texas is very similar to Michigan, actually, in many ways in sports. You know, they always have a very solid team, but never feel like they can get the full job done. And, you know, this year, both Michigan and Texas looked very promising going into the tournament. Both had very solid lineups. They had big guys. They had experienced experienced players. Shaka Smart has been a proven coach in the tournament with VCU and has had some good seasons with Texas as well. And they really just, you know... They, they crumbled in round one to Abilene Christian, who the next round against UCLA lost by 20. It wasn't it wasn't like Abilene Christian was a great team. Just Texas did not play great basketball. And that that really surprised me as well. And what was your biggest upset, Hayden? Um, I think this one's going to surprise you a little bit because you may think like it's not much of an upset. But I actually thought that the Loyola Chicago win over Illinois was really big and it was kind of overlooked. I think um, especially the way that Loyola Chicago dominated that game where they held Io DeSumo, who's in the top five candidates for who was in the top five candidates for player of the year. They held him to nine points and forced like six turnovers on him. 
and they really just like Illinois was a great offense. They um, won the Big Ten tournament. Um, they were a great team this year. I had them going to my Final Four. I had them winning some of my brackets. And the way that they never had a lead in that game, they completely were shut down on offense, was so shocking to me. I feel like it's overlooked how like surprising of a win that was. Not that Loyola Chicago actually won the game, but how they did it. Yeah, completely. I think for me, um, just so I can put my input in here, I think the biggest upset to me, I mean, looking at all these teams, like you could pick, you know, Ohio or Virginia. You could pick, of course, UCLA over BYU round one. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, actually, I was very surprised. Syracuse. Syracuse really surprised me. And I think it's not just one specific game to me because they had a solid, solid win against San Diego State and then another solid win against West Virginia. And they came very close for part of that game against Houston. I think, to, to me, Syracuse was the most surprising team because with Syracuse, they're a tournament team every year. Jim Beheim yeah. knows what he's doing. It's just that you never know what kind of Syracuse team you're going to get in every round, in every game. And them coming out and winning by 16 points round one against San Diego State, who some people were believing they could have gone really far in the tournament as well. They had a solid team. They, they, could, they could shoot the three well. They had uh, a mature lineup, older guys, and they just came out and dominated them. And that really surprised me personally as the biggest upset round one. And then for biggest surprise, I mean, I really, I mean, as a Michigan fan, the Ohio State loss was just absolutely, it was amazing to watch, but it killed my bracket. Yeah. I mean, seeing Oral Roberts play this entire tournament, they, it looked like they deserved to be like a seven seed at the highest. I mean, I, I mean, at the lowest. I mean, they played like a top team, a top 25 team in the country this entire tournament. It just makes me wonder why no one was ever speaking about this all year and why they, they were completely overlooked in every capacity. I mean, they even took Arkansas to a two point game like they they could be in the final. They could have been in the elite eight very easily by now, you know, yeah. so it's that to me to this day, I will never forgive myself for not looking at any of these games closer because hey the big 10 really did really just fell apart and crumbled mm-hmm. purdue ohio state illinois iowa even Rutgers should have won um their their game against houston michigan should have won their game against ucla i mean all these maryland completely got dominated by alabama like all these teams in the Big Ten, and everyone believed, probably as you guys listening right now also believe, that these Big Ten teams were going to all make a far, long push in the tournament. And pretty much all of them were out by the Sweet 16. So I think that are those are my upsets um, in this tournament right now. Yeah, I mean, quick shout-out to Michigan. You know, I know this podcast is dedicated to everything Michigan sports. Um, I mean, they carried the Big Ten as far as they could, really. Um, and that's, like you just said, Obviously, the Ohio State, I don't know, like, a single person who's not an Ohio State fan that's, like, not happy about that, but, like, it killed everyone's bracket. And, I mean, like you said, Oral Roberts, having those two guys, O'Banner and Max Aismith, who actually led the nation as a scoring duo, like, I wish I would have known that because... I wish I would have known that, too. Yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they, they showed out. That's... that's uh. You know, I feel like we should know by now that these upsets are bound to happen somewhere and we just never want to pick them. 
hundred percent. So that is a great segue into my next topic of conversation as we can dive a little deeper into the Michigan UCLA game. Uh, last week, I gave us a preview of the UCLA game. I gave us a preview also of the Florida state game. I spoke of what we needed to do, what we didn't, what we couldn't do in order to win these games. Because as we all know in the tournament, every game is a possible upset. No game is close. No game is a guaranteed win. And that's exactly what we saw here. I mean, going into this Michigan, Michigan against Florida State looked dominant. And, and although UCLA beat Alabama, they almost choked at the end of that game. So going into this game, I was, I was feeling very confident. And I, I just knew that nobody could compete with Hunter Dickinson. You know, if all of our role players played the way they usually play, we would have an easy win. And all the problems I saw with Alabama and how they lost to UCLA, for some reason, just replicated with Michigan. And it's not that surprising we lost. We really should have actually lost by more in this game. It was surprising that we were even in this game. But there were also many things that we could have done very easily to win this game. So I know you're watching this game too, Hayden. I just want to start off, you know, first, we didn't have livers this entire tournament. Right. So when you go up a guy like Juzang, who is a power forward and is a offensive threat, their entire team runs through him. You need somebody to guard him. And I was seeing right away that Juwan Howard couldn't figure out who to put on him. At one point, he had Johns on him. At another point, he had Wagner on him. Both those guys didn't work. Then he put Eli Brooks on him, and that started working. But then Eli Brooks got a second foul. They had to take him out. So then they were back to Wagner. They couldn't figure out who to put on Juzang. But if we had Livers, that's who you put on Juzang the entire time. And you yeah. have to remember that, that with this complete team, that's why we were so dominant in the regular season. Because when you have an offensive threat at that forward position, you just put Livers on him, and they're locked up. And unfortunately, we just we didn't have that. So that's number one. That's reason number one we lost this game. Hayden, do you have any input on also why Michigan possibly could have lost this UCLA game? Um, well, I think I want to speak to a bit of the decision-making at the end of the game, not only by Juwan Howard, but by, but by some of the players like Mike Smith, um, taking a pull-up three on a fast break when you're down two. Um, really don't need that shot. Like, it wasn't a bad shot, almost went in. But I think they got a little, like – we're trying to win this game instead of we just need a two. Let's go get a bucket with Hunter Dickinson, who they should have fed because they were feeding him all second half and it was working and they were getting Cody Riley in foul trouble and all the UCLA big men in foul trouble and it was working and they went away from it from some, for some reason. So that's, I feel like that's the area of decision-making that could have been better by both Howard um, and then like Mike Smith, Franz Wagner, those guys like, you don't need a three, especially in a game like that where you're not shooting well. Get a like get an easy bucket inside to tie the game, play overtime. You're number one seed for a reason. A hundred percent. I mean, look, Mike Smith took that same shot against Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament and he missed the shot. And they literally ran the same exact play against UCLA. I mean, we knew I knew when they were drawing up that play, that that ball was going to go to Mike Smith. And I was screaming at the TV, hoping Juwan Howard learned from his mistake against Ohio State. And I don't know what it was. He must have seen something in practice or something. Or Mike Smith could have said, hey, like, look, coach, I can take this shot. You know, whatever it was, I don't know. But he took the shot. And then you have another opportunity, two opportunities, I should say, with, you know, Franz Wagner, where in any other situation, any other game, I would be all for Franz Wagner taking that final shot. And as wide open as he was, you can't pass up that opportunity to win the game for sure. I completely understand that. The problem I have is that Franz Wagner was 
ice cold all night. Right. And the philosophy in basketball is okay. Shoot or shoot. Yes. But not when the game's on the line, when you have two points or even four points with two free throws is four points in the entire game. And you've made one total shot. You should not be the player that takes that final shot. I know Shondi Brown's our role player, but he was the hottest hand. Even Brandon Johns Jr. was pretty hot too on that night. You know, either one of those guys, or as you said, Hunter Dickinson, who nobody could compete with. He was missing wide open shots, but that's the guy you should go to when you're down by one or down by two. Problem is, for some reason, Juwan Howard saw something and said, Mike Smith, you're taking the final shot. Franz Wagner, if you can open look, you should take it. And they took the shots and they missed. I mean, and I'm not surprised they missed because it was the same story all night. Yeah, it was. It was just a poor shooting night, really on both ends, too. Like, UCLA yep. did not shoot well either, except for Juzang. But, like, back to your point real quick about uh, Wagner shouldn't be the guy to shoot. I think on that three he took off the screen, yeah, he was open. But he is – I've watched him play. He's a capable driver. Like, he can get oh, to the basket sure. and finish. Yeah. Or he has a nice floater game, too. He has a good mid-range game. He could have done I, – I would have taken any of those shots over the three-pointer where he airballed. And then Eli Brooks rushes up a putback shot, too. I forgot to mention that. Um, and I've told you how much, like, I don't really like Eli Brooks because I feel like he doesn't, you know, like, command the offense enough where he's like, I'm going to take a heat check because I'm just feeling it right now, where he's like, he's not, like, I don't know, assertive on offense. He's He has good games, but – He's not assertive, and I think he should be more. Should have been more assertive, and he kind of was like rushing shots like that all night too for them. It's just another. Um, that was another issue. But like, point is, Wagner could have got to the basket. He could have taken a mid range. He had a lot of options, and that wasn't the good option that he decided to take. I mean, as you said a little earlier, you know, we got those guys in foul trouble early. They had the fourteen total fouls. You know, and although we had turnovers all the time, we were still in this game this entire time. Biggest problem is, you know, we could pinpoint it towards the end of the game, but that wouldn't be fair, I think, to UCLA. You know, also, I mean, Michigan just looked bad all game, right? If you think about it, there are specific moments that I can remember to this day of specific moments in that game that Michigan should have at least won this game by six seven points at least. Mm -hmm. There was, um, I don't know if you remember a little earlier in the game, well, even at the end of the game. There was, um, you know, the air ball. Eli Brooks took the ball and did some reverse layup alley-oop thing and yeah, airballed that. I remember that. That's an easy two points if he just grabbed the rebound and put it up where he got fouled. We went six for 11 from the free throw line, which is usually not a problem. Mike Smith missed two free throws at the end of the first half, mm -hmm. which is big. There's two points right there that ties the game up. And then you have also you have Hunter Dickinson, I think, that went one for three at the line or two for four. He missed two free throws. I mean – Free throws add up, you know. Then you have these turnovers, 14 turnovers for this Michigan team to compare to eight for UCLA, yeah. you know, and that's opportunities missed every time. We out-rebounded this team by 10 rebounds, Michigan, to UCLA, but 14 turnovers and rebounds don't mean anything then, you know. Mm -hmm. And then you have guys doubting themselves. Mike Smith was on the bench for a lot of that second half. I don't know if you guys could recognize that, but he was on the bench for a lot of the second half, and that was because Juwan Howard was realizing that Mike Smith was doubting himself. And was saying, you know what? Like, if you go out there, you're not, you're going to be hesitant to shoot. And why is he the one that takes that final shot at the end? Because it's so easy to pinpoint times at the end of the game why we lost. But it was a whole team game that we should not have deserved to win that game. 
it was a completely different team than I've seen all year that played against UCLA that night. Even when we lost to Minnesota, even when we lost to Ohio State in the regular season, even when we lost to Illinois, we played better than we played against UCLA that night. No yeah. team should play should put up 49 points in a tournament Elite Eight game. Gonzaga put up 49 and a half. So that already tells me enough. Like, yeah, we you could call it good defense or you can just call it crappy offense. And yeah. unfortunately, that's just the, I think the latter occurred that night. And one more thing about Michigan, like it's just so surprising how considering how hot they were, you know, against LSU and against Florida State for them to come in the next game after having two great games and just completely fall apart. I don't know what happened. I really don't. Me either. I mean, again, so all you can really do now and we can complain all we want. We can talk all we want. But again, hindsight is always 2020 vision. We always can tell what happened at the end, you know, looking back on it. When we were watching this game, you know, I bet you all were still thinking on that last shot, like, oh, it could have a chance of going in. And if we had won that game, we wouldn't be talking about these problems. We'd only be talking about, you know, playing Gonzaga next. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, like, that's just not the case. So what we have going forward, that's how we have to think about it, you know. And I'm going to bring Hayden in a little bit too, kind of just thinking about NCAA overall. Um, But Michigan specifically, I'm just going to start off first. Some news. All players, by the way, have an opportunity to come back next year in the NCAA. This year did not count against any of their eligibility requirements. Therefore, all of them have a chance to come back. So the biggest names you should keep an eye on right now are Mike Smith, Shawnee Brown, and Eli Brooks. Franz Wagner probably will take the NBA position. If I were him, I would. Although, personally, I don't know if he is ready yet. I think he's as ready as he will be to get as as highly drafted as he will be. But again, Eli Brooks is thinking about coming back, even though if he left, he would probably take a EuroLeague position. And Shondi Brown and Mike Smith both have opportunities to come back. That's just the Michigan news on the front end of it. But Hayden, in the NCAA overall, to walk me through some of these coaching changes going on in the NCAA now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously I already mentioned one, Shaka Smart, um, earlier, where he just uh, hightailed out of Texas to Marquette. And went to Marquette, yeah. yeah. Interesting I move mean, there. Whether he was forced out, whether he chose to leave is unclear. My opinion is he probably was forced out of Texas. But uh, Marquette I don't know. Not... Marquette's... Like, I don't know about if he was forced out. Sorry for interrupting. I don't know if he was forced out, but, like, I think he kind of felt like you know, if I don't do something, like, they're going to fire me, so I might as well leave, you know. Change the narrative. Yeah. So walk me through what happened within the last few days here. You know, we got a lot of teams, a lot of big names moving or retiring or leaving. Uh, yeah, well, Roy Williams at UNC, um, he's one of the best coaches in NCAA history. Uh, he retired on April Fool's Day, too. So, But I'm pretty sure it was real. So It was uh, real. Yes, yeah, I'm pretty confirmed. sure it was real. Um, and then Chris Beard taking the Texas position that was opened by the aforementioned Chaka Smart. That's that's a pretty big move within the conference from Texas Tech to Texas. Um, that'll be interesting. And also, it's interesting because he was uh, he was a student at UT Austin, which I did not um, know myself. So that was once I learned that piece of information, it made a lot more sense why he went yeah, to this. Yeah. Um, and then Oklahoma, Lon Kruger retired after a great coaching career, um, and then. I believe today it was announced that the Loyola Chicago coach Porter Moser yes. is going to take that job. Really so surprised me. Yeah. That really surprised me actually that he took the position so early and so soon. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you have Indiana. Uh, Mike Woodson's taking that one. 
Question. Uh, hopefully, you, yeah, hopefully you can turn that program around. We'll they, see. Uh, well, hope for, for announced... Michigan's sake, we hope he does not, and it does, <laughs> yeah. and not many people are that confident in him just yet. But hey, people weren't confident in Juwan Howard, and look what he did within two years. I mean, so yeah. you just gotta, you never know with these kind of hires. You don't know what kind of program they're they're doing. And I did see with Indiana though that their uh, their top player is returning next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but Trace Trace Jackson Davis is returning, which will give. Uh, Coach Woodson, a huge leg up and not have to worry about going in with a completely young class. So that was information that I learned today. Um, again, just some takeaways from this episode. You know, despite the whole NCAA tournament loss, again, you have to realize this is Coach Howard's second season. Yeah. You know, and he didn't even have a chance to play in the tournament his first season because of COVID. So he took this team to the Elite Eight with players that weren't really the only really one player in his recruiting class. And then I guess you could say the transfers, but he recruited Hunter Dickinson, but that's it. I mean, he's still playing with beelines players next year. We have the number one recruiting class in the country coming in, which are Juwan Howard's players. And that's what you have to really start seeing. This is like next year will be his time, his class. And if he can get Eli Brooks to come back, if he can get Shawnee Brown, like any experience possible to come back will only help this team, whether they start, whether they don't. Yeah, so that's think, the biggest takeaway. I think they're going to be early favorites to win. If not, they're going to be one of the top 10, top five odds to win the whole thing next year. Yeah. I mean, look, Gonzaga, Baylor, like they were early favorites from the beginning. Michigan wasn't even ranked to start the mm-hmm. season, yeah. right? Gonzaga, as we already see, three of their starters are projected top 10 right now in mock drafts. So, right. So they might have new players coming in, but we're all going to come back to the same playing field. You know, Baylor, too, has an older team as well. So, you know, this year was Gonzaga's year or Baylor's year. Like, we already knew that. Michigan wasn't expected to even make it as far as they did and be as good as they were. So now we have a completely clean slate next year, you know, and Michigan should be the favorite. Again, Michigan plays better when they're the underdog. Um, But that's just something to be hopeful for and remind yourself about, that we just – we have good things to come in the future, which you want Howard's our coach. He said he's not going anywhere. I believe him. I'm – I believe he's here to stay and here to win. Um, And I don't believe he will have believed that he did a good coaching job unless he does win a championship. So that is the exciting part going forward. Yeah. Um, But with that, thank you all for listening to this episode. I really appreciate Hayden coming on and giving his insight. I don't really have many people on these, these podcasts. So when I have the opportunity to have somebody on, I really like to cherish it. And I really appreciate um, him coming on and giving his insight. In the next few weeks, I'm going to be coming out with Michigan offseason basketball uh, podcasts. You know, football season's just around the corner, so we have to talk about the new recruits, what to expect from J.J. McCarthy and, you know, Jim Harbaugh this season. The baseball team's on, so we'll see how well they do. And, yeah, I just want to say thank you all for listening, and thank you, Hayden, for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, guys. Until next time.